Our scripture passage this evening comes from the book of 1 Peter chapter 4. As we read verses 10 through 11, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Hear now the word of God. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Almighty, we ask you tonight to give us hearts that are sensitive to your word. We ask you to make us attentive, help us to listen. Give us hearts and minds that are open to correction and also reach out for your comfort. Would you use your scripture even tonight to strengthen us and bring glory to your own name? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the things that periodically gets drilled into my head as someone in my 30s, at least I'm in my 30s for a little while longer, is that I I shouldn't expect Social Security to still exist when I'm at retirement age. Um, Many people are already saying it's not sustainable, and already I find myself thinking about the right things to invest in, Um, just in case the paranoid people are right. Um, Or maybe the mathematicians, I guess they're mathematicians, all right. Um, Investing experts will tell you different things. There are things you can put your money into that will get you rich quickly, but those same investments carry huge risks with them, and they could leave you with nothing at all. Or you can put your money in something that's tried and true and generally always gives some kind of return, and oftentimes they will pay off, but they do it very slowly, maybe slower than you'd like. Uh, But if you talk to most people my age group, when you see us standing together, congregating with one another, we don't talk about what to invest in because to have something to invest in, you have to have something to invest first. And so we are still at that stage in life where you're thinking, let's get something to invest, then we'll talk about what to invest in. Um, And our passage tonight is a passage that is about investment and Uh, No matter where you are financially, the good news for all of us is that as Christians, we each have something that God says you have it to invest. So it's sort of like it's sort of like when you're rescued from Jesus, you're raised up and he gives you a nest egg to work with right away. Something to invest. And, And I am convinced from this text. That each person in this room, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have some sort of gift to share with the body of Christ. Now that might surprise you because maybe you feel like you're not a gifted person. But listen to what Peter says. Peter says, as each has received a gift. So the implication here is that all Christians have some sort of gift that the rest of the church can and needs to be blessed by. So Jesus intends for you to take that gift that he's given you and he intends for you to invest it. He's given it to you already. All you need to do is put it to work. Use it. 
And so, so as you listen along tonight, I want, you to, I want you to be active about it, sort of in your mind, be asking questions. Am I already using my gifts to bless the members of Pearl PCA? Am I using my gifts to bless the wider church? Uh, do I need help to find out what my gifts are? How can I put tonight's passage into action? This is a very action-oriented, very application-oriented message tonight and a very action-oriented passage tonight. But hopefully by now you realize the sort of investments we're talking about here are not necessarily money because each of us makes decisions about where to invest all sorts of things, where to invest our time, where to invest our emotions, where to invest our talents, where to invest our energy. We only have so much energy. And Peter talks about investments and he says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Serve one another. And so that's what this thing that we've been given is supposed to be used for. So if you're a Christian, then you have something that needs to be shared. Each and every face in this congregation has something to share with the body of Christ. And so if you keep it to yourself, if you don't use it to bless the body, to bless everyone else in the church, you are actually robbing all of us of something very special. Um, If you're blessing the church with your gifts, Peter has a term for that. He says you are being a good steward of the grace of God. See, gifts are like weighty responsibilities that have been put into our hands but, but if we keep those gifts to ourselves, if we sort of stash them away, we're like the man in the parable Jesus told. Remember Jesus told the, the parable about the man who he received a talent, and instead of taking it and investing it, he just buried it somewhere. And later on, when, when the master asked for it back, he gave him back exactly what he asked for. And the master says, why don't you use this? Why didn't you multiply this? Why didn't you do something with this? And, and Peter, in essence, is saying that if we don't use the talents that God has given to us, we're like that lazy servant. And so let's do what Peter does here. Let's talk specifics. Um, some people read Paul's letters and they see these very highly specific ways that he speaks about using spiritual gifts. And oftentimes what happens is people see the list of spiritual gifts that he, he mentions, like, like helps and encouragement and so on. And they sort of freeze and they think to themselves, well, I can't show acts of mercy until I find out if my gift is acts of mercy. So people get so hung up on figuring out what their niche is, what their special gift is, that they just say, I'm not going to do anything. And if you look at the passage tonight, though, I I sort of want to bypass all of that sort of confusion that people have around Paul's discussion of spiritual gifts, because (coughs) the, the point of gifts is that they are is that they're given to us to bless other people. And the way Paul talks about the gift that he has in Romans 1 is he wants to share with them, he says, some spiritual gift. So Paul in Romans 1 says, I can bless you even without using the specific word or having all the details ironed out. I don't have to tell you what the gift is in order to be a blessing to you. And so the gifts that God has given to us do get broken into two categories by Peter. So he doesn't, he doesn't break it up into nine different spiritual gifts or anything like that. Peter keeps it very simple. 
He puts two labels on it. He just says you have speaking gifts and you have uh, and you have serving gifts, speaking gifts and serving gifts. And that's how Peter addresses them tonight. And so rather than chase down all the different spiritual gifts the way that that Paul does, let's just do what Peter does. And let's talk about those two categories, speaking to the glory of God first and second, serving to the glory of God. So for the first category of gifts that Peter mentions is speaking gifts, speaking to the glory of God. So remember the instruction, he says, as each has received the gift, use it to serve one another. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. So uh, the notion of speaking here is not uh, about just casual conversation. It's not that kind of speaking that Peter has in mind. He has in particular preaching and teaching the word of God in mind. And we will see this with the second point, which we haven't gotten to yet, but Peter has a parallel point to make, namely this. When we serve, we do it with the strength that comes from God. And the point in this one is, when we speak, we do it with the word that comes from God. So do you you see this? I just want to emphasize this. When we serve, we do it with the strength that comes from God. And when we speak, we do it with the word that comes from God. And so in both of these cases, in this point and the next one, uh, whether we serve or whether we speak, we're doing it with a resource that only comes from God. It doesn't come from us. We're not using our own energy, our own powers, our own talents. We are using things that are on loan from God. And so the idea is that when someone uses their speaking gift in this point, their speaking gift to bless the church, the thing that blesses us is not the giftedness of the speaker, because that's beside the point in a sense. Paul actually said that he was not a gifted speaker. Paul says, I came to you with very humble speech. I was not a great speaker. uh, the, The giftedness of the speaker is beside the point. The thing that blesses us is the very word of God. And so what that means is that insofar as the speaker or preacher is reflecting back to you as the congregation, the words that God has spoken, that is the degree to which you will be blessed as a people. So the more you hear from God, the more blessed you'll be. The more you hear opinions that don't come from God, the less blessed you could be. And that's an understatement, I think. And that's why watching 24-hour news leaves you feeling so miserable, by the way. You're listening to other people's opinions all day when you actually need to hear more from God than you hear opinions from other people. It's exhausting. Life tip. Um, But the blessing isn't in the gift. The blessing is in the word. Um, Or the word Peter uses here is oracle. It's in the oracles you hear from God. And, And that phrase, oracles of God, it just means the words of God. It just means the words that God speaks. Uh, I'm convinced that this phrase doesn't just refer to the preaching ministry of the church. I think Peter specifically here is talking about any sort of speaking gift, any sort of speaking that is done in terms of instruction in the church. And so in our own context, that would be you know, people who teach Sunday school. This is an admonition for Sunday school teachers, people who lead Bible studies. People who lead prayer meetings, yes. People who proclaim the word from the pulpit of the church. Um, 
There are other places in the New Testament, especially in Paul's letters, where we get those special instructions just for preachers, just for pastors. Um, And this certainly applies to preachers, and every word of this applies to me. And I've been fed as I study this, but I don't think that it's necessarily only for that. And I think what this means is that ministers, preachers, and teachers in the church, Sunday school teachers, and all of those sort of roles that I mentioned, they have a very high calling. Even if you teach Sunday school or if you teach the little children in their classes, you have a very high calling to speak God's words and not your own words. And that definitely happens. If you've been in, uh, well, I don't know if you've been in a church where they do this or not. But I've been in churches and I've been subjected to sermons that were just lectures or one person's opinions and God's word was not reflected back. Uh, When we finished college in Phoenix, we moved back to Kansas and the house we lived in was right across the street from a congregational church that has one of the most beautiful buildings I've ever seen. And, And I thought, wouldn't it be neat if we attended this church across the street, and it was a biblical church, and we could hear God's word each week, and it was right there. Wouldn't that be spectacular to live right next door to a Bible-believing church? And so we went across the street one Sunday, and I should have known. I should have known I was in for something weird, because, you know, on the the back of the, the cars parked out front, you'd see a Darwin fish eating a Jesus fish, and you'd see the coexist sticker, and God is a woman stickers on the cars. And I thought, well, maybe that person's just a fluke. Maybe this place is fine. And we went in, and I've, I've told this story before, but we went in, and first of all, they made us stand up and introduce ourselves in the pew, which is, I don't think that's ever going to happen here. It seems like a bad idea. Uh, it was utterly terrifying. But what happened was the minister got up, and he read a Robert Frost poem to us. And he spoke of the greatness of the human spirit and talked to us in very laudatory terms about how great human beings are. And then he closed. And if I remember correctly, he didn't even close with a prayer. And it was my first exposure to the sort of liberal church that is dead and does not have the word of God. So it does happen. And those churches do exist and God is gracious enough to close the doors on those oftentimes. Um, in Romans 1.11, Paul talks about how much he wants to come and see the Christians in Rome. And he says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And so Paul wants to use the spiritual gift that he has. And in this case, it's a speaking gift. And he wants to use it. To strengthen them. That's what he says. To strengthen you. That's why I've been given this speaking gift so that I can strengthen you. So notice this. Spiritual gifts are given to us so that we can strengthen others. John Piper puts it this way. He says, gifts are given to be given. Gifts are given to be given. So if you have any gift, you've been given it. Not so that you can be built up, but so that everyone else can be built up. Paul says, I know I have the gift of teaching. I have the gift of, of preaching and speaking. But that doesn't mean that I have it so I can keep it to myself. He says, no, I'm supposed to share it. So 
the church needs teachers, and the church needs teachers who are willing to teach the oracles of God, the word of God, because if the church doesn't hear the oracles of God, they won't be blessed. There's no blessing in hearing somebody get up and sort of stand on their soapbox. But the church needs teachers. We need Sunday school teachers. We actually have a great rotation in Sunday school, but we need one extra person every Sunday morning. That means we need three new people to be part of our eight-week rotation. And I have mentioned this many, many times, and I have had no more takers. Um, And I'm going to keep mentioning that need until that need is filled. Um, But we need a third person to sort of help with both of the teachers every week. That is a real, practical, actual need. And it's an application of what Peter is talking about here. Um, Because if there is one thing our children need in this church, it is to see the word preached and proclaimed each week from the pulpit. It's actually good for kids to hear the word of God preached and to learn how to sit and hear it. But if I had to pick a close second... In terms of the things that our church does for families and for children, I would say they need to see other adults too, setting the word before them, setting the oracles of God before them, and showing them that they are a high priority to all the church members. Children in the church need to know they are very, very important to the church. The adult Sunday school and the adult ministry of our church, I actually think is less important than the children's ministry in the church. If you had to stack the church in terms of its priorities, the future of the church is actually in the children and in the youth ministry of the church. And so the children of our church really are the future. I don't think that's hyperbole. I don't think that's a cliche. And they have souls, just like we as adults do. And they need to be fed, just like adults do. And they need to be taught, just like the adults do. They need to be encouraged. They need to learn, just like the adults do. And so let's be a church that encourages and builds up and teaches our little ones and shows them that they are very, very valuable to us. Peter says, when we speak, though, it has to be the oracles of God that come out or there is no blessing in it. And it is so, so tempting. And I know it is tempting as somebody who preaches each week to want to Give people our own wisdom. Give people our own ideas. And I think that's why Peter says this. I think it's so tempting to get up and do a talk on this is how I see the world. And Peter knows that temptation. And that's why he says, you don't get to do that. If you preach or if you teach Sunday school or if you lead a Bible study or if you lead a prayer group, you don't get to do that. This is too important. God's word is the thing that blesses people. So the spiritual gifts that God gives are only as helpful, though, as our faithfulness to the word of God. We don't get to teach people our opinions. We don't have permission to get up on our hobby horses. We have to be bound by the text, bound by what God has spoken. And if we don't, we failed our calling. Whether you're teaching Sunday school, whether you're leading a prayer meeting, whether you're standing in the pulpit, somehow, if you have a speaking gift and you're using it, it has to come from God's word. And so the reason is that if we teach and it's just our ideas and it isn't God's word, if it's just our opinions, then if things go well, then we get the glory and God is jealous to prevent that. And so the plan of God is all of it comes From him, and so he's the one who gets the glory sent back to him. 
it gets reflected back to him. And so first this evening, Peter tells us we should speak to God's glory. He speaks to God's glory. He encourages us to do the same. Now, the second type of gift, the second category of gift that Peter talks about is the gift of service. Serving to God's glory. Look at verse 10. We've already read it, but look at it again. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So the word that gets used here in the, in the ESV, it gets translated as serve. And I think almost all the Bible translations use the word serve. And the thing that I, I think is interesting, when we, when we were instructing the deacons and those who were training to be deacons, one of the things we did was we looked at the meaning of the word. And the meaning of the word deacon comes from the word for serve. And so the word serve and the word deacon actually come from the same Greek root. Um, it gets used in lots of ways in Scripture. Sometimes the word for serve, it refers to providing meals in the New Testament. Sometimes it refers to visiting uh, believers who are in prison. Uh, sometimes it refers to providing financial support. So there's a variety of ways that serving happens in the New Testament. But when, when Paul talks about spiritual gifts, you know, he refers to, to people with a spiritual gift of generosity. Uh, he refers to um, one who does acts of mercy in Romans 12.8. Um, and so the idea here is, is that God gives gifts to the church so that we can serve and help others and make them stronger in Jesus. Um, and that's why you can do what you do. Because God intends to use you as his hands and feet to show people that he loves them. God doesn't give gifts to the church so that we can feel better about ourselves or promote ourselves. Um, They're given so that we can build each other up and edify each other and become stronger Christians and love God more and love each other more. That's why he gives the service gifts to us. So service in scripture, it's a very general word. It can be a lot of things. Um, I take it to mean, in a sense, Anything that the body of Christ needs or does that isn't covered by the gift of speaking. I actually think he's saying everything else that the church does. And the list of needs in the church is almost endless. I started writing them down and I was amazed and I know I forgot stuff. But each Sunday and each Wednesday when you come here to Pearl Presbyterian Church, um, what you may not see is the hours and hours of work that went on behind the scenes just to keep all of this going. Um, Mowing the lawn, trimming the bushes, keeping the facilities repaired, fixing the church's lawnmower, helping cut down trees, helping remove stumps from the property, cleaning the bathrooms, cleaning the hallways, dealing with plumbing issues, vacuuming and sweeping the floors, making food on Wednesdays during the school year, Cleaning up after fellowship meals, printing the bulletins, running the sound equipment, mailing the newsletter each month, making sure the headsets work and have batteries in them, playing the piano, playing the organ, running the slideshow, singing in the choir, decorating the church, watering the flowers out front, supervising children in the nursery, making coffee, cleaning up the coffee. The list goes on. I stopped writing because I thought you would get really bored. With that list. (laughs) 
And, and there's, there's so much that happens all the time here that you just don't see if you just come here on a Sunday morning. If you just come here on a Sunday morning, you drop in for an hour and you leave, you go, wow, this place seems pretty simple to run. Um, there's more that you don't see, though. There's more that people never see. There's stuff I don't even see. Sometimes I accidentally find out about it. Um, people in the church who have been visiting folks, they can't get out, they're shut-ins, and they need encouragement. People in our church go and do that. You never see it. Taking meals to a family where somebody just had surgery or some serious setback. Uh, visiting folks in the hospital. And I'm not talking about myself. Uh, we have people in our church that do this. Systematically praying for people. There are people in this church praying for other believers. And maybe in all of that, I mentioned something that you do. And you, I probably forgot something that you do too. And what it, what it does is it goes to show how dependent we as a church are on people doing what Peter says here and sharing their gifts of service with the church. And that list I just mentioned is all specific applications of what Peter calls gifts of service. And here's the really important thing that I need you to hear and that I need to hear too. You have people within your circumference of of influence and the thing that the Bible wants you to know is that you have an opportunity to serve them. And if you're in a church, you have a bigger circumference of influence than other people do. Loneliness is a serious problem in our society. One of the things that God has given to combat that is the church. So the question is, you've got this gift, you've got this gift of service. Somehow, maybe you haven't tapped into it. Maybe you haven't utilized it much. But are you using it? Now, I want to ask this question. What are the obstacles to using the gifts that God gives to us? One thing that isn't an obstacle, and Peter sets sets forth here, this is not the thing that's keeping you from serving, is not gifting. Gifting is not the problem. Um, Peter seems very clear here that each person has received a gift. He doesn't say if God has given you a gift. He says each as God has given you a gift. Um, If we're not serving, or if we're not serving as fully as we could, the problem is not a gifting problem. The things that are stopping us aren't really out there. They are in here. And one inner obstacle, one possible inner obstacle to using our gifts is that we just convince ourselves we have nothing to offer the church. Um, We see those who are already serving. We see those who are already using their speaking gifts. And we think, well, I'm really not as good as them at this. I'm not really gifted for this. I can never do that. Um, We might have that attitude for one reason or another. Maybe we've just been torn down all our lives. Maybe we had family that told us we were worthless, that we wouldn't amount to anything, and we just had nothing to offer. Or maybe we are just quiet people. Uh, We don't really put ourselves out there all that much. And so the idea of speaking, uh, even teaching a children's Sunday school class, feels terrifying to us, so we draw back. But Peter says, your strength comes from God. Your gift comes comes from God. So you don't get to keep that to yourself. Even if you have a personality that pushes back against God's command. Uh, I I will give you a perfect example of a personality that pushes back against your gift. Um, I think and hope I have a speaking gift. 
but I am actually paralyzed by crowds. And I am the most textbook introvert you have ever known. And if you didn't know me very well, you would probably be very surprised by that. So I have a gift, I think. (laughs) And my disposition pushes back against that gift. So every time that I stand up to speak in front of people, my heart goes pitter-patter. I gets very frightened. And I guess my point is, just because you are a loner or because you're a quiet person or because you're an introvert, that doesn't actually mean you can't exercise your gift. It just means you have to work at it. Or maybe we feel like there's already somebody doing the thing we feel suited for. Sometimes that can stop us. Um, and so, you know, we, kind of, we can come up with excuses all day long. You know, human beings are excuse-making machines. But even if someone is doing something that you feel gifted for, go to the person who's actually doing the thing you would like to help with and tell them you want to help. Now, I guarantee you, you, you know, this person, maybe you think they don't need your help. But this person may have been doing this thing for so long and waiting for someone to say, I want to help you. Um, If you see someone around here doing something, they need help. Everybody needs help. And and, and also, if you are doing something in the church, if you have something you do or you've done it for a long time, maybe you've done it forever and you say, that is my job. That is my thing that I do. But then someone else steps out and they try to help. Please, please, please don't rebuff that person. Let them help. God has actually commanded that person that has asked you to help. He's actually commanded them to use that gift. And so if you tell them, no, this is my job, what you're doing is you're robbing them of a chance to contribute to the body of Christ. You're robbing them of a a chance to do the thing that God has given them to do. And it may actually be, this is God showing mercy to you. He's giving you another person to help or assist you or even give you a chance to grow closer to each other and get to know each other better. And this is, by the way, doubly important if it's a newer member. Um, One of the fastest, best ways for someone to really feel like they belong in the church is for you to let them help with something. Uh, Let them help in the kitchen. Let them help with cleanup. Let them help with serving. Let them help in some way that they're asking to. Because I I guarantee you that's one of the most incredible ways to integrate someone into the church is to let them help. And there is nothing that scares somebody off more than being told no. Um, I've I've seen new members try to help. They want to contribute in some areas. And and there can be pushback where folks say, look, that's my job. That's my job. And when that happens, I don't think you see it, but, but, but I do see it. Um, that person that wanted to use their gift can become very discouraged and withdraw, and they won't try to step out and help again. And maybe you've seen it too. Maybe you've noticed it before. But, but we have to resist keeping our gifts to ourselves, and we have to keep, uh, resist the urge to make others keep their gifts to themselves. And, and we can't use humility as our excuse either. We can use that as our excuse. Um, Matthew Henry talks about how very easy it is when it comes to using our gifts. It's very easy for us to sort of sit on it. Uh, we don't use it at all. And, and we do it because we say, look, I don't really have anything to share. Listen to what Matthew Henry says. He says, we must take heed 
lest under a pretense of humility and self-denial, we are slothful in laying out ourselves for the good of others. We must not say, I am nothing, therefore I will sit still and do nothing. So Matthew Henry is, is sort of saying, we can't use humility as our excuse for inaction. So let's cast away our excuses. Let's get rid of that way of thinking. Instead, this is what Matthew Henry says we should say. So don't, don't make humility your excuse. Oh, I'm just nothing. He says, we should say this. I am nothing in myself. So therefore, I will lay out myself to the utmost in the, in the strength of the grace of Christ. Let us employ ourselves diligently, cheerfully, and in simplicity, not seeking our own credit or profit, but the good of many for this world and that which is to come. So, so that's what he says here. He says, stop thinking about yourself. Stop asking the question, am I something in myself? The answer is no. He says, I'm not anything in myself. You're right if you say that. But he says, I am something in Jesus Christ. I have something to offer in Jesus Christ. So so maybe you feel like Matthew Henry talks about, you don't really think you have anything to give. You don't have anything to offer. But the Bible is clear. You don't, but God does. And he has something he wants to do in you and through you to bless the church. How do you serve? Peter says very specifically, by the strength that God supplies. And then he gives the reason why it has to be this way. Why are we so weak? Why are we so helpless? Why is it that each week and every week when I go to to write a sermon, I have to beg God to help me? Why is it like that? Why isn't it just easy? Why is it that sometimes when you serve, you don't always feel like you're up for it? Why is it that Sunday school teacher can show up one day and they feel like they have nothing in themselves to give and they are forced to pray on the way in while they're walking through the parking lot? Why is it sometimes you go to visit somebody who's, who's, who's in the hospital or, or they're shut in and they haven't been out in some time and you start walking up and you have to pray to God first? Help me know what to say to them. Why is it like that? Why don't we just always feel ready and equipped for everything that gets put before us? The reason is God is great and we are not. And he is determined that we know it. Peter says, when you use a gift that comes from God, your strength doesn't come from in here. It comes from him. And, and, when, you, and when you serve or when you speak Or whatever you do, Peter says, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That is from the text. Do you see it? God serves through us. He speaks through us. And he does it to draw attention to himself and away from us. And that's why Peter ends this passage with a doxology. He ends with a word of praise. He says, this is done that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The question isn't whether we'll invest. The question is, 
How will we invest what God has done for us? Will we use it well? Will we bury it? Will we use it carelessly? Will we keep it to ourselves? Or will we share it with the body of Christ to the glory of God? Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, which of us can say that we've used all the gifts you've given us as well as we possibly can? None of us can say that. And yet, Lord, you call us to use what you've given to us, not to promote ourselves, but to give you glory. All that we have comes from you. From you and through you and to you are all things forever and ever. Make us a people who live that way. And let the good you've done in all of us and through all of us come out in the way that we speak your word and teach your word. And in the way that we serve with your strength and show mercy and give of ourselves because we're really giving of you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.